Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. like different kinds of bait. Some like worms, some like spinners, some like minnows, and depending on the type of fish that you're fishing for, you're going to use different kinds of bait. You know, if I were fishing for for trout or for salmon, I probably wouldn't use a worm. I'd, I'd use what? A fly. If I were bass fishing, I probably wouldn't use a fly. I might use a spinner or a worm. You know, if I was going uh, fishing for grouper, I probably wouldn't use like a worm or a spinner. I might use, you know, a shrimp or another piece of bait. If I were going shark fishing, I wouldn't use a minnow, right? I'd probably use like big hunks or big chunks of other fish. Depending on what you're fishing for, you're going to use different kinds of of bait. It's the same thing with tackle, right? Depending on what you're fishing for, you're going to use different kinds of gear. I wouldn't use a bait caster if I were going to go trout or salmon fishing. And I wouldn't use a cane pole if I were going to go shark fishing, right? You use different kinds of tackle depending on what kind of fish you're going after. As parents, you know this. If you go fishing with your kids, they open up your tackle box. They look inside and they say, oh, could I use this? It looks really cool. It looks really colorful, but you'll say to them, well, you know what? That's not really the right kind of bait for the type of fishing we're going to do. Now, last week, you know, we started a new sermon series together called Go Fish. And the whole purpose of this series isn't to talk about real-life, actual fishing. It's really about us in our call to go and to fish. We learned last week that we are to be a fishers of people. Now, last week what we learned is that if you're going to go fishing, you have to be willing to leave something behind. You might have to give something up in order to follow this call to go and to fish. But what we said is that really it's all about being in close proximity to Jesus. Are you in a place where you have a relationship with Jesus Christ where people see that in you and they want that for themselves? Now, I left you with the challenge last week. What was one small step of obedience that you could take this past week in your call to go and fish? And my hope and prayer was that sometime throughout this week, you were able to take that small step of obedience and in some small way, maybe able to bless someone else. Now, if last week's message was about our call to go and fish. This week is really about what do we fish with. You know, as we go and as we seek to to share our faith with others, to go and to fish, to clean and to catch, what we understand is that we use the tools that God has given to us and we understand that in the end, God is going to be the one to ultimately clean. You know, when we fish, people aren't going to always like what we have as a lure. 
People aren't always going to like the bait that we use, right? People sometimes are going to want to spit Jesus out of their mouth. They may not like it. What we have to understand is fishing is messy business. And you have to remember, we're going to be using different kinds of bait, tools, things that are at our disposal. You know, thinking about fishing being messy business, I can remember when we lived in Pennsylvania, there were uh, a few evenings when we would go down into Center City and uh, we would do street evangelism. And so as people were coming out of the bars late at night, we'd go up to them and we'd start talking with them. And in that moment, we often used uh, the kind of evangelism explosion model, which says this, if you were to die tonight, and you were to stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Now, I can honestly tell you that that certainly led to some interesting conversations. You know, if people have had a little bit too much to drink, and they're coming out of a bar, and you're asking them questions like this, oftentimes people just kind of uh, spit that kind of right out of their mouths. They weren't necessarily interested but here's the thing, is that even in some of those conversations, though we didn't see people necessarily coming to faith in that moment, what we believe is that maybe God began to plant some seeds in people and that maybe God was going to use that later on, that people were going to recall that. And that's not to say that that's a, a poor model that we use. I think we use all the different things that are at our disposal. And so that certainly is a model that can work in certain instances and in circumstances. Yet I think what we found is another way that we can often kind of lure people, put some bait out there, is through what I would call relationships in mission. Something that we did when we moved to Florida and we were planting our church there, so often what we found is that it was out of those one-on-one -on -one relationships. That as we began to build these relationships with people, as we would say, hey, why don't you go out for coffee with us? Or why don't you come out to lunch with us? And so it took time, and as we would spend time just talking with them about spiritual questions, things that they may wonder about, that eventually what we found is people would often say, well, you know what, whatever that is, is in your life, that's what I want. And so it would be in those moments that we would be able to share with them all about Jesus. And we would see people committing their lives to Jesus Christ and coming to faith. And that's really what I hope we discover together this morning. In the midst of everything we talk about, if there is only one thing you have that you can remember this morning, this is what I want you to remember, because we're going to be talking about it all morning long. There is no greater story than the story of a transformed life. All right? There's no greater story than the story of a transformed life. In fact, what we found is that as people in Florida were coming to faith, they were giving their life to Jesus, they made the very best witnesses. They couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus, the way in which God had transformed their lives. They didn't have the Bible memorized, right? They didn't know all these facts and figures about Jesus, but what they did have was the way in which Jesus Christ had changed their lives. And they couldn't wait to tell other people about it. And you know, the good news is I think that takes a little bit of pressure off of us. Because you don't have to have all these facts and figures. You don't have to have your Bibles memorized and know everything about it. All you need to really know is how the gospel story of Jesus Christ has intersected with your life. 
And if you have a relationship with Jesus, then guess what? You have a story to tell. Are you in a place where you know how your story has intersected with the gospel story and where you find yourself in a place to be able to share? Now, I don't come up with this on my own. This is something that we really see laid out for us in Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles handy, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be spending some time together this morning. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. It's a really long passage, so we're not going to read it in its entirety. We're going to break it up as we go this morning. Now, as you're turning to Acts chapter 4, I want to give you a little bit of background so you understand the context of what we're going to be reading together this morning. We go back to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to go and pray. And as they're on their way to the temple, they encounter this man who is a cripple. He's been crippled from birth. He hasn't been able to walk, and he's begging for money. And so while he's begging for money, they say, hey, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we give you. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we want you to get up and walk. This man gets up and he begins to walk. In fact, he is so excited. I mean, you can imagine he's dancing around, he's jumping around, he's praising God. He makes his way into the temple and he begins to tell people about what's happened. And this crowd begins to gather around him. Now, Peter is not one to let a good crowd go to waste. And so in that moment, he begins to preach the gospel message. He tells people that the reason this man can walk isn't because of their strength and power, but because of Jesus Christ. And even though this Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited one, he's not afraid to say, you killed him. But then he says, you know what? God knows that you acted in ignorance because this was something that was proclaimed thousands of years before that the Christ would die but then be raised to life again. He tells them that they need to repent, that they need to turn their lives back to God in order to have their sins blotted out. And in Acts chapter 4, it picks up what happened. Now, as they go to kind of catch and clean the messy business that we see in fishing, what do you think happened? You know, do you think the religious leaders of the day were excited about what they were preaching, this new kind of thing that they were talking about, the resurrection? You think that they were excited? You think that they took the bait? No. What happened? They spit that right out. And we see what happens in Acts chapter 4. Let's pick up at the first verse. Notice what it says. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, would you join me in a word of prayer? 
Lord, we thank you this morning that we can open your word, that we can begin to read it. And what we would pray is that this morning, Lord, you would speak to us, that you would speak through us. Lord, even in what we have just read, we are reminded that there will be those, Lord, who reject the message. But what we also understand is that there will be those who come to faith and who believe. Lord, what we pray is that this morning, this place may be filled with belief. Those who have gathered in person, those who are watching online, would you speak to us this morning through your word, empower us, embolden us because of the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's in that most wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if you're going to follow along and you're going to take some notes in our call to catch and clean, this is the first thing I want us to understand. Not everyone is going to be interested in being caught and cleaned, right? Not everyone is going to be interested. Look, the Sadducees were religious leaders of the day who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so here you have Peter and John preaching that Jesus is the Messiah and that there is the resurrection from the dead. And so what do they do? The leaders throw them in jail. You know, what we have to understand is that when you and I preach the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ, we will face opposition. Fishing is messy business, and not everyone is going to believe. We understand, we live in a religiously pluralistic society. There's lots of different belief systems out there. And so we have to understand, lots of different people have lots of different beliefs. We also understand that oftentimes in our world, the, the key terms of the day are things like dialogue, and tolerance. But what I have found in my conversations with others, so often what people now mean when they say tolerance of each other's views is, I, you have to listen to what I have to say and tolerate my viewpoint, but I'm not going to listen or tolerate yours. Right? And so we, we talk about these things, but that's what we have to understand. You know, we also have to understand the way in which people often view Christians. Right? They think of us as what? They know more about, oh, what you're against than what you are for. And so you'll talk to people and you'll say, oh, well, Christians are really just, you know, like racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic, like Bible-thumping people. Like that's what people often think of us. You know, we have to understand that the largest, the fastest growing segment of our population are the nuns. People who claim no religious affiliation at all. And so what we, what we have to understand is that the headwinds for us sharing our faith are always going to be blowing against us. And we have to remember, it's only going to get worse in the coming years. But I also want us to understand this. The headwinds were also blowing against the disciples. It's, it's really no different in today's day and age. The, the disciples were thrown in jail, Right? for preaching the, the gospel message. Like, early Christians were martyred. They were killed for their faith. 
So if you want to talk about headwinds blowing against, you know, the gospel message, that has always been the case. And it's just going to continue to be the case. People won't always agree with our message. They won't always want to be caught and cleaned. But just because we perceive that people don't want to hear doesn't mean that we shouldn't share. You know, you think about the parable of the sower who's going out and is just scattering seed. Some is going to fall on the rocky path. Some of it's going to fall on the thorny path, right? And some of it, in the end, is going to fall on good soil. So you and I simply go and we begin to share our faith. And in the end, as you and I begin to water it, doing what we can, we just trust that God ultimately is going to be the one who makes it grow. And you know what gets to happen is people's lives get to be forever changed. Because look at what happens. Listen to what the scriptures say. But many who heard the message believed So the number of men grew to about 5,000. Understand that in those days, they only counted the men. If you think about women or children who could have been there, we could be talking about perhaps 10,000 people or even more people coming to faith. The results of Peter and John proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus was that people were healed and people were coming to know the truth of the gospel. Now, of course, for the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they're ticked off because a lot of the people that were following them were now starting to follow a new message. So what we have to recognize, not everybody is going to be interested in being caught and clean, right? This idea of fishing is messy business. But here's what we also know. Some people won't believe. Some people will believe. And some people will want to hear more. And they'll say, hey, I don't necessarily know what it is that you're talking about, but I want to know more about what it is you're sharing. You know, I think about the number of people who have come to know Jesus Christ through Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church over the past, what, 180 years. And I think about how many people are right here in our community who have yet to hear about Jesus, but will because of the work of this church. And I I get excited when I think about that, and I pray that you get excited thinking about the number of people who we want to see and believe will see coming to know Jesus Christ. I want us to see a second thing. Catching and cleaning requires the right lure. All right? It requires the right lure. At the beginning of the message, I was sharing with you some different models that people can sometimes use in sharing their faith. And one of the things that we have found is what we call kind of this idea of relationships through mission, where we would begin just building relationships with people to the place where they would eventually come and say, you know, whatever that is in your life, that's what I want. But sometimes I want us to see that we just got to go for it. Right? we got to share the gospel message. We're told we should never be ashamed, never be afraid. We should always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in us. But we do it, what? With gentleness and respect. We do it in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of his Holy Spirit. By the way, notice what happens if you have your Bibles handy in verses 5 to 12. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, 
John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now notice, right here, Peter and John are given an opening. They're given an opportunity. They know that maybe these leaders don't necessarily want to hear what it is that they have to share, but the leaders can't deny that something has happened. And so they want to know, okay, wait a second, you know, in what name? How are you doing this? So right here, they're given the opportunity. And when they're given the opportunity, what do they do? They go for it. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, Peter and John probably would have been okay if they had just stopped here, right? They said, hey, look, we are doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. But then they go in for it. Listen to what it says. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about, like, just going for it. I mean, here they are. They basically gather and say, hey, you know, this guy Jesus, who stood before you, this, this guy whom you crucified, who you keep spitting out of your mouth, they're like, I'm telling you, unless you take the bait, this religious system that you're following is going to come up empty. And if you don't get hooked on Jesus, you guys are going to end up belly up, right? I mean, they just simply shared the gospel message. They believed that there was healing in Jesus' name, that there was hope in Jesus' name, and they weren't going to be afraid to share it. They lived out what Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You know what that reminds me of? When somebody says, where do you get your strength from? You say it's Jesus. When somebody asks you, how, how do you have peace in the midst of a situation where I wouldn't be able to have peace at all? You say it's Jesus. When somebody asks you, how, how can you overcome that addiction? How can you overcome this challenge that you're facing in life? You know what you say? You say, I'm able to do it because you know, I can remember when, um, when we had moved to Florida and uh, Nathan's best friend got introduced to his dad. And his dad eventually became uh, a, one of my closest friends. And I, I can remember we were at the Halloween dance. It was the very first thing that we were there, you know, there in July, August, starting to meet people. And uh, I, I can remember we're at the Halloween dance. 
there are kids, like just, I mean, it's chaos, running all over. It's elementary school. The DJ is just blaring music. It's so loud. And so a lot of us dads, we're just kind of standing along the outer edge, you know, talking to each other as the kids are going about doing their thing. And his friend leans over and he says, I don't know if I would have the faith to do what you did and to pick up your family and to move here like this. How, how can you do that? And I simply said, it's because I love Jesus and I came here to meet you. And that became the impetus by which we started having coffee and we began having lunch together uh, almost every single week. And this took over a year, you know, a couple years really for him to come to this place where as we started kind of just going through the Bible together, I said, hey, why don't you read like a chapter of Mark a week? Why don't you read a chapter of Philippians a week? And then you and I, let's just get together. Let's talk about, you know, kind of the, some of the spiritual questions that you may have. And I can still remember the day that we were gathered together at that restaurant when he gave his life to Jesus. And he said this, he said, you know, I can remember this day a couple of weeks ago when I came to pick up my son at, at your kids, at your house. And he, he said, there was such peace in your house that day. And I said, what are you talking about? There were boys running around everywhere like it was chaos in our house. And he said, but you know what? In the midst of the chaos, there was peace. And he said, whatever that is, that's what I want. And I said, then, this is the day when we're going to put a marker down in your life, and from this day forward, you will look back at this as that significant day where your life is forever changed. And we talked about Jesus, and in that moment, he committed his life, and he gave his life to Jesus. It, it, it wasn't all kinds of, like, just fancy things. It was, it was just simply sharing with him the hope of Jesus Christ. And this is what I want us to understand, that it works because we have the right tools at our disposal. Ultimately, the best story that you have is the story of what God has done in your life. The best story that you have is the story of what God has done in your life. It is your own personal testimony. Think about it. If we look at our story, the crippled beggar right? If you look about his life, he didn't whip out the Bible and start saying, oh, like, let's look at the scriptures, right? All he had was his testimony. The way in which these men had changed his life with the name and in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he gets up and he, I mean, he can't help but start sharing the way in which his life, his story, intersected with the story of Jesus. And then he just starts sharing it with all kinds of other people. I want us to understand that even Peter and John, when they get up, really what they're doing, they're sharing their testimony. They had seen Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had heard him. They saw the things that he had done. And so what they're doing is they are simply sharing the way in which their life story intersected with the gospel story and they're sharing it with other people. Now, 
because they did know the scriptures, they did know the Old Testament, they were able to say, well, you know what, this Jesus, whom was prophesied about, whom has come into the world and you rejected, you know, and rose again just as the scriptures say, so they were able to add to their testimony with the scriptures story, but what we found is people were coming to faith because of the way in which they were simply sharing their testimony. And I think that is good news for us. See, whatever challenge you have faced, whatever hardship you have overcome, whatever blessing that you have experienced in your life, you say it is all about Jesus. It doesn't have to be fancy wording. It doesn't have to be about buildings and preaching. It doesn't have to be about programs and creativity. It is all about Jesus. What does that mean? Do you know your story where in 30 seconds... I call it the 30-second elevator pitch. If you have your story in a 30-second summary where you could share with somebody else how your life was impacted, changed by Jesus, where you shared that with somebody else, that would get you the five-minute conversation some other time. How has your life story intersected with the gospel story that you could share it with somebody else? Remember, there is no greater story than the story of a transformed life. How has your life been transformed by Jesus where you could share that with somebody else? Now, let's say you're someone who's grown up in the church your entire life, and you're like, well, I don't know if I have one of those rags-to-riches stories. I want you to understand, you still have a story to tell. The way in which Jesus has changed your life, made your life better, helped you overcome something in your life, you have a story to tell. What's the difference that Jesus has made in your life that you could share that with somebody else? Now, perhaps you're wondering this morning, well, who is it that God uses to catch and clean? I want us just to kind of lay this out. What I hope you know is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Notice what it says in verses 13 to 14. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. See, one of the things that the religious leaders noticed, these were guys who were unschooled. They were ordinary men, but notice what they noticed, that they had been with Jesus. By the way, remember last week I said it's all about proximity to Jesus. Here you have that again. What do they notice about these men? They were in close proximity to Jesus. They noticed that they had a relationship with Jesus, and they noticed that that is what made the difference. These guys didn't have their GEDs. They didn't have their high school diplomas. They didn't have their PhDs. They didn't have their MDivs. But what they did have is that they had been 
with Jesus. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to have gone to school. You don't have to be someone on staff at Presby. You don't have to be an elder or a deacon. You simply have to be you. And, by the way, I would say all of you are on staff at Presby. You want to know why? Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so if we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that means God has given you a purpose. God has given you a mission. And so God has called us to share that. Even if you feel unqualified, God can use what? Any of us. Because he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Second, notice, God uses broken people. (laughs) God uses broken people. In our scripture passage for this morning, God used a crippled beggar who had been in this condition from the time of his birth. He was broken physically. He was healed. And you have a story that went from brokenness now to wholeness. And he used that story with everyone that he met. Despite the brokenness of his past, God used his story to wholeness to share with other people. Now let's be honest. God doesn't just use people who've been broken physically, right? God uses people who've been broken emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially. God uses broken people. Despite the brokenness of your past, despite what you feel may disqualify you from being able to share your faith, what we know is that God takes broken people and he puts them back together again. Now, our our faith is a resurrection faith. We believe that there is nothing that is beyond the restoring powers of Jesus Christ. And so what we believe is that God takes the broken things the painful things, the hurtful things of our lives and the things of this world, and he restores them. And as God restores them, we can share that with other people. Brokenness is not fatal. Brokenness is not final. In fact, what we believe is that what God does is he takes the things of the world, the things that the enemy means for destruction, and he turns them around and he uses them for good. And as he uses them for good, he also uses them for his glory. If God can use a crippled beggar, what that means is God can use someone like you. Third, God uses obedient people. You simply have to be obedient. Notice what it says in verses 15 to to 22. It says this, right? It says, so they ordered them, to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And then what do they do? They conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. And what? We cannot deny it. They couldn't deny what had happened. But to stop them from spreading this any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, I love this line, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people, they were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. You know what's amazing about this? The religious leaders said, shut up about Jesus. Like, you got to stop teaching and talking in his name. you got to stop sharing your faith. But they couldn't deny that something amazing had happened, right? And, and what, did, what did Peter and John say, right? Sorry, we ain't stopping. We are not stopping talking about Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? Because they were obedient, they were able to kind of win one for the one. And here's the deal. They didn't, just, they didn't just see one come to faith. They saw thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were obedient. They said, we can't help it. We can't stop talking about Jesus. And you know, that reminds me of this. When people see what God has done in your life, they won't be able to deny it. You know, oftentimes you may say, well, the Bible says, and people are like, I don't believe in the Bible, so you can say that all you want. But what they can't deny is what, what God has done in your life what God has done in you through Jesus. And we trust that eventually it's the Holy Spirit that's going to open up people's eyes and reveal the scriptures to them. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. There is no greater story than the story of a transformed life. People cannot deny the way in which God has changed your story. Do you know your story well enough to where you can communicate that with someone else? How is your life's story different? Because it has intersected with the gospel story of Jesus Christ. As we close together this morning, I want to invite the, the, the team to come back up. And I want to give you some space this morning to be able to think about some different ways in which God's story has intersected with your story. Do you know your story well enough that in, let's say, 30 seconds, you could share that with other people? I I want you to know, so I was saying already that if you if you've grown up outside the church and you came to faith where you had this kind of story of where God did some transforming work you probably know your story and your testimony for some of you you may be in a place where you're like I don't know I don't know what my story would be because I've been somebody who's I've been a Christian for a long time or I've been follow, I, I've kind of been in the church for a long time here's what I always say is I try to have three or four what I call them entry points of conversation with people. So I want you to think about has God helped you overcome an addiction? Ah, there's, there's an entry point for conversation. Has God done a healing work in your marriage? 
Well, guess what? There's an entry point for your story. Has God done something, a healing physically? There's an entry point for a story. Maybe it's something emotionally where you didn't know and understand who you were, but God did something in that and changed your life with the power of the gospel. There's your entry point and your story. See, all of us probably have three or four different conversation starters. As you're in a conversation with somebody else where you could say, ah, here's the way in which Jesus Christ has has transformed my life and where I see the way in which he's made a difference in my life and where I believe he can make a difference in your life as well. I want to give you maybe just a minute or two, maybe if you've got a piece of paper where you just start writing that down, I want you to think about for a moment what what is a, a place where God has intersected with your story and where you might be able to share that with someone else. Over the next minute, I'm just going to give you just a moment to reflect and maybe in these moments just to pray and to say, Lord, what's, what's my life's story? And I, I want to be clear, if you're in a place where you feel like your life story hasn't actually intersected with the gospel story of Jesus Christ, maybe this is that moment where you begin to reflect and pray and say, well, Lord Jesus, what do I believe? Maybe, maybe there's something in, in what you've heard today where you begin to say, you know, I know I need to give my life to Jesus. And I, I'm praying that maybe for you in these moments, whether you're here or whether you're watching online, where you really just begin to pray and say, well, what do I believe about Jesus? And where you would come to that place of saying, I do believe that he's my Lord and Savior, and I, I repent of my brokenness and of my sin, and, and Lord, here's my life. Take it and, and use it. And so whatever it is that God is is speaking to you in this moment, I want you just to start praying and to reflect. To say, God, what is it that you want to do in me and through me? And maybe even just to write down what you feel like God might use in you and, and through you this morning. And so I just want to give you a moment just to reflect and, and maybe to pray. think about the way in which God has maybe changed your life's story, what, what might this look like for us as a church? Well, I want us to start thinking about ways in which, what, what if over the summer it's, it's hot out, you know, what if we just simply grab water bottles and, and maybe over the course of the summer where it's uh, soccer games and, and baseball games or maybe we went and uh, we just started handing out water bottles uh, to people. Uh, what might it look like if, uh, you know, we, we put on Presby t-shirts and we just started going around Warsaw, just started maybe cleaning up, picking up garbage? What if we went to the grocery stores and uh, just simply started to say, hey, can I, can I help you uh, walk your groceries out? You know, 
what, what if we began, I, I know our family was so blessed by the meals that people were bringing us. What if you organized somebody in your community, your neighborhood, uh, had, a, had a need? And the way in which maybe you just organize for, for neighbors. I can remember years ago uh, in, our, in our community right there, so there was a, a person who had uh, had cancer. And so Nicole just started to say to all of our neighbors, hey, can we just start making meals for people and let's just bless this family in that way? I want us to just be thinking actively about ways in which we can bring joy to our city, ways in which we can bless other people. And here's what happens when people say, why are you doing this? You say, it's because I love Jesus and because I want to love you. And when they maybe ask a little bit about why or what, ah, now you have your story. And you begin to share that story with other people. Well, people, I believe God is going to use us in that catching and cleaning process. I believe that we are going to see people coming to faith as we were talking about seeing our boats be so filled that they begin to, to sink. But it's all because we are going and sharing the hope of Jesus. Love of people, let's be a people who go fish. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning that... So many of us can maybe sit here and just give you thanks for the way in which our lives have been forever changed and transformed because of Jesus. Our lives have been forever different because of the way in which, Lord, you have redeemed us, saved us, given us hope into this life and hope for the life to come. Lord, for those of us here this morning who have seen the way in which maybe you've done something, Lord, and we don't know what that is. Maybe it's physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, financial. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in an addiction. Maybe it's in, Lord, our, our psyche and the way in which we think about things and our identity. All of those things, Lord, where we see the way in which Jesus, you have come alongside of us. You've, you've restored us. You've taken us from brokenness to wholeness. You've given us a new story that we are not who we were, but who we are in you. And God, what we pray is that you would take these stories, you would take our lives, and Lord, how you would use them to change and transform the lives of the people around us, not for our own sakes, not for our own glory, but God, what we would pray is for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, that we may see your kingdom come, your will be done, that we may see your kingdom growing here, Lord, within our community and around our world. Lord, we know that we have a story to tell to the nations. God, would you see fit to use us to share that story? God, empower us, embolden us, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that, Lord, we may share that hope with everyone we meet. And we pray that in the most wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.